everyone, and welcome to the Carry On Cast, the podcast when the pastors at Easter Lutheran Church get together and chat about the Bible and the upcoming texts for uh, the next Sunday or weekend of worship. I am Pastor Jen Hackbarth. I am here with Pastor Megan Torgerson and Pastor Jay Carlson. Yeah. So we are here today to talk about not an Old Testament prophet. What? Right? Or an Old Testament historical text or a narrative text. We are entering the Gospel of Matthew this week. Pastor Jen, are we in the New Testament? This is exciting. Ah, we have crossed the threshold. That's right. An early Christmas present. (laughs) (laughs) It's only the fourth Sunday of Advent, but we're getting close to Christmas. (laughs) I do have to say, though, that there is something, I think, helpful about spending a lot of time in the Old Testament in the fall for the narrative lectionary. I know Mm. it's not always simple or easy for people to spend that much time in the Old Testament, but I think it is okay for people to miss the Gospels. Ooh, Mm, that's a hot take I hadn't expected. Yes, I think it's okay because I do get, whenever I've done the narrative lectionary in congregations, there's almost always people who, by the time we hit November, December, start saying, I miss Jesus. I miss (laughs) hearing the Gospels. I miss hearing the Mm. stories of Christ and my response or my thought when I hear that is, well, that's good. I'm glad you missed the Gospels. I think that's a good thing. And as it it builds that anticipation Mm -hmm. toward Easter where we are waiting and waiting for Christ to be born. And then here we are. Yeah. It's just, I think it's a good anticipation. That's interesting. Yeah, I have not used the narrative lectionary before in other churches where, where I've served. So I've certainly preached from Old Testament passages, but there's always a gospel there. So you kind of are reading that Old Testament through the lens of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've enjoyed uh, the, these last few months of, of really just focusing on Old Testament passages. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly we're, we've done that in light of our Christian faith and as followers of Jesus, but it's nice to kind of just take those passages on their own terms and and hear God's promises through these these scriptures. But yeah, so now I'm, yeah. I'm ready to get back to the Gospels now. Right. Yeah. And so especially for a text like the one we're going to hear today, I think spending time in the Old Testament can be so helpful to add appreciation to what we hear in the Gospels because there are always people and places and events referenced throughout the New Testament, and it's so easy for us to kind of just gloss over them. And and that's okay. Like, I really don't want people to feel like they have to know everything about everything in order to read Scripture. I want you to bring whatever you've got to Scripture, and it's okay if it ain't much. And there is a richness, there's layers of meaning that are added when you have a sense of, you know, who are they talking about when they reference Abraham? What do they mean when they're talking about the Exodus? Uh, Why is it so important for them to keep referencing uh, King David? You know, Jesus getting called son of David. Like, why is that meaningful and powerful and effective? Well, the more you know of the Old Testament, the more that just blossoms for you in meaning. So I think it's worth spending some time in the Old Testament, not just because they are texts worthwhile all on their own, and they are, Mm -hmm. but because they really help us get a fuller sense of what God has been up to in Scripture and and helps these New Testament passages have even more width and breadth. I just think it's worth it. So thanks for sticking with us, folks, as we... Hash through some sometimes kind of tough Old Testament passages. Some of those can get really thorny and deep and 
really almost mired in, in historical detail. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that Old Testament, too, when we read it, we are connecting with people of other faiths. Mm-hmm. We're connecting with people who love the Old Testament uh, and use it as part of their Jewish faith or people, you know, as part of the Islamic faith, that, that we are people of the book together. And by spending time in the Old Testament, we're we're connecting with them in that way with their stories and, and sharing those stories. So there are stories as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we move into the Gospels, I think we also should say we're not really going to start with the most beloved oh, of all. What? Well, I don't know. If we did a poll of Christians, uh, they might not pick Matthew 1, 1 through 9, or 1 through 17 as their most, you know, the ones they're memorizing at home. Uh, But I think it is. I dare you to memorize it, though. All right, I'll get started. Please, I will will send you three gold stars, friends, (laughs) to demonstrate that you have memorized this passage. That would crack me up. All 17 verses. Now, that might be a challenge. I think it's a challenge to read it. So, Pastor Megan, you're going to read it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, think, oh boy. I think this is really cool, though, because we have gone through all those stories of Genesis. Yeah. And we've followed through this historical narrative. And now we get to see Matthew referencing the stories that we talked about in September and October and these characters that are all connected to Jesus' history. Um, and I think that... It kind of brings it all yeah. together. Yes, yeah. it is a fitting place to start now in the New Testament as right. we read from it. Mm-hmm. And most of us, you know, technically we, we would start, you know, Matthew 1, 18, mm-hmm. the verse that begins, now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. I think many of us uh, would perhaps believe that that's indeed where the Gospel of Matthew actually starts. It does not, friends. It starts with verse 1. Get ready, because uh, this, is, this is thrilling, and I'm super excited to read it. This is... Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And I will preface this by saying that whenever uh, someone is reading a biblical passage out loud and they get nervous about a complicated name, I tell them it doesn't matter if you pronounce it right or wrong. What matters is doing it confidently and consistently. So pretend you know what you're saying, and if you mess it up, mess it up in the same way every time. And with that, (laughs) Matthew 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. 
and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Well done. Yes. You nailed it. Yes. Did it. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody uh, got it memorized yet? <laughs> Abraham was the father of Isaac. That is now, just that's right. We know those names. Those are names we <laughs> Those know. are names that we have. Yes. Yep. Right? We read those names. We've Some of them are, are going to be familiar to us. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, probably really familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse, David, Solomon, also fairly familiar. Some of those kings in there are maybe familiar. If you were paying real close attention to some of the prophets that we read from, uh, you might have heard the reference to the, the time of the deportation to Babylon. That would be the exile when the southern kingdom fell. Uh, and so then things get real messy for a while. Uh, and then you probably, uh, you know, yeah. just kind of rolled with it until we got to Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, which so is fair. Some of those names are familiar to us. Mm-hmm. Even more would have been familiar to Matthew's original audience, I would Absolutely. guess, as Matthew mm-hmm. primarily was writing, I think, for a Jewish audience who would have, uh, who would know many of of these names. So Matthew is is setting Jesus in that that context, that historical context of Israel. He is part of the community of of Israel. He's not separate from it, but mm-hmm. born into not only into the world but into this community of Israel. Yeah, there's this sense of fulfillment to it, right? Mm -hmm. That we're connecting all of these pieces of story. That, you know, there's Abraham, uh, to whom God's first promise that they would be a people comes. There's King David, who gets that promise, like, yep, you are like this holy nation. You are, this is is the fulfillment of of all of these promises. Uh, And then things kind of fall apart a little bit, right, (laughs) in the the exile. but then the promise is renewed here now coming to Jesus. And even this like, you know, there were 14 generations and 14 generations and 14 generations. It's, it's mostly just saying like, um, there is a rhythm to this. There is a sense of fulfillment to this. There's a sense of promise to this. Uh, like you said, Pastor Jay, it's not coming out of nowhere. It is, mm-hmm. it is part of God's work in history. Yeah, God's story in Jesus is part of God's story in Israel. Yes. I mean, this is the, the you know, exile is mentioned here because mm-hmm. how can you not when talking about the history of of Israel? David is mentioned because as the Messiah, he's got to be the son of David as the, the new Messiah, uh, uh, the new king like, like David. Uh, but then even going back all the way to Abraham, uh, to the original covenant that God established with, with Abraham too. And I, I want to point out too that... Um, I, so first of all, friends, if your eyes glazed over a bit as I was reading name after name, it's totally cool. I'm not, I'm 0% offended. So what we are going to do, though, is backtrack a teeny bit and point out that some of these names, while maybe less familiar to you, are, wow, just really remarkable that they made the list. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, you may not have realized it, but there are some ladies mm-hmm. that get mentioned in this. In particular, I, I would like to point to verse 5. Uh, where we get to the story of 
Ruth. There is a, a, a whole a whole book here where, where Ruth gets mentioned and she, along with her mother-in-law, find themselves uh, reconnected to God's people here, right? And so Ruth isn't even, my memory, as my memory serves me, she's not even um, native to the Hebrew people. She was no, her, her. She was her, a Moabite. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. Uh, not just an outsider, but like an outsider. And she, she doubles down and commits to Naomi's faith and, and eventually marries, you know, someone from Naomi's lineage and marries into what ends up being the bloodline of Jesus. So here's this yeah. full on outsider. Like, but not only that, but she marries into, and then all the guys die and she still commits to Naomi and even though there's no reason for her to be still part of you know of Israel and Naomi's family she she is she She that's why there's that beautiful line that gets used at weddings all the time and you go I will go and I'm like that's really lovely but do people realize that this is a woman saying this to her Mm mother-in-law not to her betrothed so just just know ladies that if you choose to read that at your your wedding this is a woman making this level of commitment to her mother-in-law. So make sure you love your mother-in-law enough. Yeah, after, to all, the that, after yeah. all the men have died. After all the men have died. It's just you and her now. Um, such a, but such a beautiful passage. So I get why people read it at weddings, but it's got a little bit of a different tone in this original context. But Ruth That's gets a great story. named. Ruth mm-hmm. gets yes. named here. She's wholly unexpected. Oh, completely. And, and not only she's a widow, she's an... Immigrant, she's so not somebody who would be part of a traditionally or typical powerful Messiah right. or who they expected as the Messiah. Right. Which is true of, I think, all of the women or almost all of the yeah. women. There's four yeah. women in here. Yeah. And if we go back, for instance, to verse uh, three early on, um, we get to a reference to Tamar. Uh, who comes from the book of Genesis. And it's this super complicated story of Levirate marriage, which is um, a bit of what we talked about with Ruth, which is that if you've married into a family and the husband dies, but there is no heir, you're supposed to marry mm-hmm. the next son in line. And whatever kid you have belongs to the man who died, not to the living brother. Uh, Tamar gets trapped in a cycle of Levirate marriage where the, where the sons refuse to care for her. Mm-hmm. And she ends up, really have to deploying some 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 machinations here so that she can indeed have a child of her own so that she can be cared for by this heir who is considered to be the heir of her now deceased husband um and she gets actually um praised for this Mm -hmm. she gets praised for really taking matters into her own hands for the sake of her husband and her family and her own line and she gets named as, Mm -hmm. as part of jesus bloodline as as a result um, so she's kind of a sort of kind of an unexpected person in the list. Mm-hmm. And then you get Rahab, yes, who you do. is named uh, as a prostitute who helps spies that come from the people of Israel uh, as they are looking to move into Jericho. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she is also cunning, smart, uh, very assertive, gets things done, and makes things happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, then, and then marries into the line. Yeah. yeah. In verse 6, then, there's, uh, it says, David was the father of Solomon by not Bathsheba, but the wife of Uriah, which right. I think maybe by not naming Bathsheba, it's calling attention even more to the mm. circumstances of, of the birth there, of that relationship, that yeah. it's it's kind of a, a, a 
difficult uh, situation there. Yeah, not not what you would expect in yeah. a, a king's genealogy. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're unfamiliar with the story, folks, it's super problematic. King mm-hmm. David fell in love with the wife of one of his soldiers and uh, had a child out of wedlock with her and uh, tried to get his, his soldier Uriah to uh, come home to his wife so that they could pretend it wasn't a baby out of wedlock. It didn't happen. And so instead, King David sends uh, Uriah to the front lines of a war and has him uh, effectively killed uh, so that he can marry Bathsheba. It is super troubling. It is mm-hmm. incredibly problematic. Um, and here, in Jesus' genealogy, right here in Matthew 1, that really painful troubling story just part part of the genealogy it's part of how we get to jesus mm-hmm. which you know you can kind of go do we have to remember that yeah you do have to remember that mm-hmm. this is the this is the real story of god's people messy and and full of hurt and heartbreak as it is yeah even when we say jesus is the son of david we're not talking about a sanitized david here not a cleaned up story but the real story and matthew is clear about that from uh from the outset Right, right. Yeah, all, all of these characters um, have a fallibility to mm. them. They have they have messed up. They have uh, done wrong in God's name, and they are still part of God's action in the world. They are still part of how we get to the realization of God's promises in Jesus Christ. This is real life, folks. This is this is how it is. That God's people are not you know, clean and perfect and neat and tidy and pretty. They are humans. They are messy. They mess up. And and God still works in their lives. It makes me wonder if the people that initially heard this genealogy right after Jesus' resurrection and these early Christians, if this culture, if this would have been completely radical to them, Mm. and we just don't get that sense uh, in the same way when we hear it, because it feels just like a... Wah, 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 wah. It was right. of all these names. versus hard name. Maybe it was the father of this hard name to pronounce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when lineage was traditionally passed down through men, to have four women named in this was probably quite a statement. Yeah. Uh, historically, mm-hmm. culturally. Mm-hmm. And it would feel, wow, this is... This is new. This is different. Yeah. Jesus yeah. is bringing something new. And Jesus' history, where he comes from, is new and and different for us. And thinking then about that genealogy and, you know, people like, like Tamar and people like Ruth and Rahab, people who kind of took matters into their own hands and who could be easily sort of demonized for it. I mean, I think about this jump from, you know, verse 17 to verse 18 where it says, And now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Like it's this again, it's happening that things aren't going the way they're supposed to go. This is not the way the story is supposed to happen, um, but this is the way it's happening, and this is the way God is present in it. So I, I, it becomes a really interesting setup for this next phase of the story of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mary is the fifth woman mentioned in this. And I guess she wouldn't have to be mentioned too, but Matthew does name both Joseph and Mary. And then, yeah, like you said, points to the difficulty, the vulnerability, the, I don't know, fear and worry Mm -hmm. that was probably all uh, surrounded that birth of Jesus too. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, as we go further into that story again, you know, it, it cites prophecy, right? And, um, and we'll hear this a lot in Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew's really careful to uh, cite prophets, 
connect Jesus to God's promise throughout scripture and throughout God's work in history. Um, that's kind of a priority for Matthew. And um, there's, there's a theological point to that, right? It's that, that Jesus is part of God's ongoing work. This, mm-hmm. is, this is part of what God has always That's right. And to that point, we can go back even farther. So we've set Jesus, Matthew has, in the context of Israel and the covenant, uh, the promise that God made initially with Abraham. But even before that, it begins by saying an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. I just learned, I don't have my Greek with me, but I learned from a commentary that the word genealogy there is actually Genesis. So we're going back to the very beginning of the Old Testament here. Oh, I just pulled out the Greek. It's uh, absolutely... Yep, it's totally Genesis. I did not yep, lie. Totally All right. Genesis. So yep. it's it's uh, it's like a new creation here. That God's God is at work, not just in a people, but in all things, in all of creation, renewing creation through what God is doing in, in Jesus, too. I think it's helpful for us to remember that, that God yeah. cares not just about people, but even... What? Everything that is in creation, <laughs> oh, too. You mean the creator of all things actually cares about what has been made? <laughs> and these promises are for the renewal of creation, including oh, its people, even. I think. Yeah. Yes. Well, it feels like it'll preach. Yes. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew we'd have this much to talk about when it comes just to list of names. the genealogy of Jesus? But yeah. that's scripture, isn't it? Just. Yeah. There, there's always more to talk about, more to unpack, and I thank you for the conversation. Mm-hmm. I thank you, thank you, all of you who listened to us talking about the genealogy of Jesus. <laughs> we appreciate you. Hoping that you have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm. And our mission, as always, at Easter Lutheran Church is to grow in faith and carry on the work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm.